from uh, about 15 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hello, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast. My name is Alyssa Carroll, and I am the host and the creator of at serial underscore killing on Instagram, where we go through the life stories of serial killers to see if we might catch a glimpse of why they displayed their famous, vile, and disturbing behaviors. Special thanks to some of my patrons, of course. Sophie, Nanette, Emily, Gabrielle, two Emmas, Galen, Cassandra, David, John, and my girl Judy. Thank you so much. This podcast is going to be on Luis Alfredo Garavito. Now this one's going to discuss things like the sexual assault and murder of children. So I want to go ahead and put my disclaimer disclaimer out there right now, okay? Lewis was born on January 25th, 1957 in Genova, Colombia. So let's get into some history for that time. Egypt reopened the Suez Canal after they fought with Great Britain over the control of it. Things got heated really quickly. The British Prime Minister at the time resigned over his handling of this conflict. Also this year, Andrei Gromyko was appointed as the Soviet Union's Minister of Foreign Affairs. He had previously worked as an ambassador to the United States and the United Kingdom Security Council and would often accompany Soviet leaders on their foreign visits and was a proponent for disarmament. In Singapore, the United Kingdom agreed to let themselves rule. The decision was made during the four-week-long Singapore Constitutional Conference held in London. The former British colony would be allowed to govern itself and become its own state, and Great Britain would still control the island's defense and external affairs according to the terms of this agreement. Also this year, and this will sound familiar, the Asian flu pandemic occurred. It was caused by a mutation in wild ducks that combined with a pre-existing human strain of the flu. It originated in China and the worldwide death toll was thought to be over 1 million. The Viet Cong guerrillas began their terrorist bombing campaign and assassinated more than 400 South Vietnamese officials in Saigon. The Treaty of Rome was signed this year by West Germany, France, Belgium, Italy, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands, thus establishing the European Economic Community, which would later turn into the European Union in the 1990s. 1957 was also the peak of what we know of as the baby boomer years. Baby boomers were born between 1946 and 1964. 
The beginning of those years was, of course, being the end of World War II. With hundreds of thousands of military men coming home and setting up house with their wives, well, the baby boom began. Also this year, the United States attempted to launch a satellite with the Vanguard TV-3 rocket from Cape Canaveral, but the rocket exploded a few seconds after launch, destroying the rocket and damaging the satellite and the surrounding area. The Soviet Union had already, by this point, successfully launched two Sputnik satellites. The Use for Un-American Activities Committee convicted a number of writers and playwrights for Un-American Communist Party membership. Martin Luther King Jr. headed a nationwide resistance to racial segregation and discrimination this year, and interestingly enough, this was also the year that, in the United States, the radar detector was first used to enforce speed limits. So this, of course, was the atmosphere that he was born into. It is said that his father was Manuel Antonio Garavito and his mother was Rosa Delia Cubilos. Now, if I've mispronounced that, I, I apologize terribly. Manuel was a severe alcoholic and was described as seriously disturbed. It's rumored that Rosa was a sex worker, though she could have been forced into it by Manuel. Louis was Rosa's first child out of seven sons total. The family lived in extreme poverty. From the beginning, Manuel physically and verbally abused the children, Louis being one of his favorites. And Rosa was not immune to the abuse either. Manuel also forced Lewis to watch his mother have relations with her clients from the beginning of his life. Now, whether or not Rosa wanted it to stop, she was powerless to do anything because reportedly she was a drug addict and if she did try to step in, she would be beat severely. It was also mentioned that some of her clients sexually abused little Lewis as well as two other male neighbors. And please remember that this was happening to him from the beginning of his life. Now, because when most children are looking forward to school and playing with their peers, Lewis at just seven years old ran away from home and was forced to live on the streets. Now let that sink in. He had been horribly abused in so many ways by the time he was only seven years old. Less than a year later, he was spotted by and picked up off of the streets by a pedophile. Now this man had promised Lewis food and shelter, protection and safety. Instead, he raped the little boy violently. What this man had done was take him to a house where young children were sex trafficked to men. Now, realizing that this was no better than what he had been living in, you know, ran away from home for, he fled the house. He then decided to join a local youth gang that would offer him at least some level of protection. So the group that he joined were well known locally for robbing people, stealing cars, and so on. 
This is how they survived, and Lewis had to join in. He didn't have a choice if he wanted to live again under their protection. Now, as he progressed and came into his teens, he did try to live the, quote, straight life, working as a vendor and selling religious icons to locals and tourists. But, of course, this didn't last very long. So he began traveling around a lot throughout the country to keep up with the job demands of Colombia. People had to work incredibly hard to get ahead in life, and although he frequently had to move to different areas, he did, at least for a time, have a girlfriend named Teresa. She had already had a small child, and according to her, Louis and her child got along great. He had been kind and patient to her child. But really, Lewis was known by his friends to be kind, but very easily angered. He then began drinking heavily and acting very aggressive toward people until the random town that he had been in decided it was time for him to go. So he would move on to the next, rinse and repeat. And it was also reported that he did attempt to commit suicide, which left him under psychiatric care for five years. Once out, he went back to being a street vendor, angry and disillusioned with the world. And so guys, this is really all I have for his childhood, but it definitely speaks volumes. So let's dive in. Now, according to PsychCentral.com, children are naturally exploratory beings. As children develop and mature, they engage in the world around them using all of their senses. Now, when children are left to grow up in a safe and healthy environment, they delve into discovery with great enthusiasm. Innocent play will later help in cultivating normal relationships, though normal is kind of on a spectrum. When this healthy development is interrupted by adults, it leads to a whole array of problems. Sexual abuse, molestation, or consistent exposure to adult interactions can contribute to psychological damage. When children are exposed too early, that arousal is imprinted via epinephrine and can be quite challenging to fix or heal. Too early exposure can lead to depression, social anxiety, premature sexual interactions with peers, further grooming by adults, putting themselves in dangerous situations, sexual assault, isolation from peers, doing harm to others, self-injury, suicidal ideation or attempted suicide, desire for ever-increasingly deviant sexual stimulation, and many other high-risk behaviors. There was a study that examined the traumatic responses of children who witnessed sexual assaults or extreme sexual acts, like Lewis was forced to watch his mother. Now, these children exhibited PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, disturbances in aggression and sexuality, an altered sense of security and vulnerability, low self-esteem, stress within peer relationships, and changes in future orientation. So according to the American Counseling Association, 
quote, childhood sexual abuse has been correlated with higher levels of depression, guilt, shame, self-blame, eating disorders, somatic concerns, anxiety, dissociative patterns, repression, denial, sexual problems, and relationship problems. Depression has been found to be the most common long-term symptom among survivors. When the sexual abuse is done by an esteemed, trusted adult, it may be harder for children to view the perpetrator in a negative light, thus leaving them incapable of seeing what happened as not their fault. Survivors tend to display more self-destructive behaviors and experience more suicidal ideation than those who have not been abused. Stress and anxiety are often long-term effects of childhood sexual abuse. Many times, survivors experience chronic anxiety and tension, panic attacks, and phobias. A study compared the post-traumatic stress symptoms in Vietnam veterans and adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse. Now, this study revealed that childhood sexual abuse is traumatizing and can result in symptoms comparable to symptoms from war-related trauma. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Some survivors may have dissociated to protect themselves from experiencing the sexual abuse. As adults, they may still use this coping mechanism when they feel unsafe or threatened. Dissociation for survivors of childhood sexual abuse may include feelings of confusion, feelings of disorientation, nightmares or flashbacks, and difficulty experiencing feelings. Denial and repression of sexual abuse is believed by some to be a long-term effect of childhood sexual abuse. Symptoms may include experiencing amnesia concerning parts of their childhood, negating the effects and impact of the sexual abuse, and feeling that they should forget about the abuse. All of that to say, unquote. And there is, oh, so much more damage beyond this, but you get the idea. And then we have the violence that Lewis experienced throughout his childhood, which would be so very damaging as well. So if we take a step back, what we have here is a child who had no life experience where he wasn't the victim of completely unacceptable behavior, both sexual and violent. That was really all he knew, guys. And the statistics of children who experience this level of violence and abuse their entire young lives show that they can go on to continue the cycle of abuse as adults. Now, I'm not saying that this is always the case because from my own childhood experiences, I know that it's not. I'm simply stating that the chances are increased. But let's get back into it. 
Around 1992, the now 25-year-old Lewis suddenly began luring young boys to him. Sometimes he would offer them small jobs to do for an impressive amount of money or bribe them with gifts, food, or candy. He would then lie to them and say that he was a priest or a farmer, gaining the trust of the area youths quite quickly. The boys that he generally sought out were between the ages of 6 and 16 and were described as homeless, peasants, or orphaned. And once the young boy began to trust him, he would then take them out on these extended walks until they were very physically tired. Then Lewis would take that opportunity to tie the young boys up, remove their clothing. Then he would begin to torture and rape them before he then killed them. Often they were decapitated. And the torture was most often extended over a prolonged period of time. Now, the level of torture that these young boys endured is unbelievable. So here's a huge disclaimer. He would stab these sharp objects into their bottoms, if you will, both in the muscle and in the, well, you get the idea. Sometimes he would castrate them and then put those severed parts in their mouths. He would also bite them, leaving bite mark evidence as well as empty bottles of alcohol. Now these boys were disappearing at an increased rate, but the murders went largely undetected due to the civil unrest in Colombia at that time. The police were so busy, so intensely, for so long, that many missing persons reports were just never fully filed. But then in 1997, a mass grave was discovered. And then another. One of the mass graves had about 25 little boys' bodies in it. Immediately grabbing the police's attention, an investigation began. It was then that the pattern of so many missing children was finally noticed. And side note, it's important to know that he traveled into Ecuador as well, and they are making connections with him and children's deaths there. So in February of 1998, outside of the town of Genova, the remains of two naked boys were discovered near each other. The next day, another body was found not too far from the other two. All three boys had been tied up and sexually tortured and assaulted. The throats had been deeply cut and their bodies bore a lot of bruising all over. Now, the authorities found a note at the crime scene that had an address written on it, which then led them to Lewis's girlfriend. They did contact her, but she told them that she had not actually seen him in months that he was a bit of a traveler, if you will. She did, however, give to the police a bag that he had left at her place, which contained a lot of his belongings. Items inside of the bag included many photos of young boys, disturbingly detailed journals of his murders, tally marks of the number of his victims, and a little bit of money. 
This new information also led them to where Lewis had been newly living, but unfortunately it was vacant by the time the authorities got there. Detectives believed that he was either traveling for work or away attempting to find his next victim. You see, there were a few other serial killers on the loose in Colombia at that time as well, and the police were scrambling to try to organize the information coming in and analyze the data to find similarities, patterns. You get the idea. Think Los Angeles in the 70s and the 80s. And they, quite frankly, didn't have the funding for expert profilers and so on. Now, there is a story that says in 1996, a young boy went missing and his body was found five days later. His mother, knowing she would most likely not get the attention she wanted from the police, began to investigate on her own. It was then that she discovered that her son had been last seen in a candy store with a group of other children. A man had been with them and had bought the children candy. She tracked down the man, who was Lewis, and got the police involved. They of course questioned him and he openly admitted to buying the candy for the children, but then after that he had left them and went on his way. He was then released and murdered his next victim only four days later. But then, kind of by sheer luck, three years later, the police found and took Lewis in, not realizing who they truly had. A homeless man had noticed a struggle between Lewis and a younger boy and thankfully had stepped in and intervened and rescued him. In April of 1999, he was then arrested and charged with the attempted rape and again, they did not know, at least at that moment, that they had just arrested the most prolific serial killer at that time. Now they began to question him, of course, and brought into play additional cases of attempted rape as well as the local murders. It didn't take long for the authorities to suspect that Lewis was la bestia, or the beast. Now Lewis insisted that he was innocent, of course he would. So they began to describe the absolute grotesque things that had been done to these bodies that they found and this apparently broke him and brought him to tears. And while they were trying to garner a full confession out of him, they found out that Lewis had a very specific and rare eye condition that required a very special type of eyeglass lens. A pair with this unique type of lens were found at one of the mass graves. He had also left behind, again, empty alcohol bottles with fingerprints on them. Strangely enough, he had left his underwear sometimes, and on occasion, he even left his shoes. And then his DNA was discovered on the victims where DNA evidence could at least be retrieved. So with this overwhelming evidence, Lewis broke down and confessed. But the number of victims that he had confessed to stunned absolutely everyone. He confessed to murdering 140 children. Ultimately, and after an exhaustive investigation, he was charged with 172 child murders throughout Colombia. 
And again, folks, that's just Colombia. It is believed that he officially began murdering in 1992 and was arrested in 1999. That's seven years where he was free to roam and hunt his preferred prey. And at that time, his prey was young boys who were not typically always missed. Now, when he was asked about why he did these things, he would state that every single one of his crimes were committed when he was completely drunk and would then be taken over by a, quote, superior being, unquote. He then took the police and showed them the locations of some of the victims. So here's the kicker. He was ultimately sentenced to 1,853 years and nine days in prison, the longest sentence in Colombian history. But unfortunately, Colombian law limits imprisonment to 40 years. And because he helped police find some of his victims' bodies, his sentence was reduced to 22 years. There is no life sentence and no death penalty in Colombia. So of course the population was completely horrified at the thought of him having any chance of being released during his lifetime. Anyone that could do what he did to all of those children, and the number is thought to be as high as 400 now, would not be able to stop himself once released. This is a case of clear and obvious compulsion. I mean, think Jeffrey Dahmer, even he said he would not have stopped. Garavito was sent to a maximum security prison and was housed completely separate from any other inmates because it was feared that the other prisoners would immediately kill him. And most likely they would. Sources say he is scheduled to become eligible for parole in 2023. That's two years from now. But on the other hand, I found that Colombian law says that those who have committed crimes against children are not eligible to receive any, quote, benefits from justice and are required to spend at least 60 years of their sentence in prison. So Lewis's imprisonment reduction would not be applicable. Interestingly enough, a journalist interviewed Lewis for a show that aired on TV in 2006. The journalist stated that Lewis tried to, quote, minimize his actions and expressed intent to start a political career in order to help abused children, unquote. It is said that he displays excellent behavior in prison. He is also apparently very paranoid and terrified that someone will try to poison him, so he will only accept food and beverages from people that he trusts explicitly. Lewis was, strangely enough, found sane with regards to the fact that he knew what he was doing was wrong. He reportedly has a great relationship with the guards at his prison. With regards to his intelligence, it is said that he cannot restrict his train of thoughts. He will jump from one topic to another. And even if he starts a conversation on a topic that he feels is interesting, he will switch to a completely different topic only seconds or minutes later. Because of the complete absence 
of any psychological treatment, he is not used to talking about personal matters, even if it would aid his cause. So experts administered a picture test with him in 2005, and he showed failure in understanding or solving the quiz questions. They noted that other than cutting the photo out of any identification that the children had, he did not collect any other trophies, if you will, from his victims. And oddly enough, he loved to have his photograph taken and there exist many of him where he was working as a street vendor or inside whatever apartment he lived in at the time. But he also told these experts that he truly wanted to understand the cause of his actions. He didn't want to speak about himself, so they began to tell him about the behaviors of other serial killers. But other than wondering what their body counts were, he kind of lost track of the entire conversation. They said that he was an open and friendly person. And other than possibly being tense at times, it was not noted that he lied about anything. But one thing he wanted to make completely clear, he believes that he would not continue his murders once out of prison and that he had everything, quote, sorted out in his mind, unquote. I don't know. I don't know if I believe that or not. Tell me, guys, what do you think? Leave me a comment if you're watching the video down below, or if you're listening, then you can DM me on Instagram at serial underscore killing. You can email me at serialkillinginstagram at gmail.com. And as always, thank you so much for listening or watching. I appreciate every single one of you because I know that you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me and I really appreciate that. Thank you so much and have a great day.